0: Um, We are going to continue our uh, sermon series in Luke. Luke chapter 5 is where we're at. So um, you might have a Bible with you, but if you don't, look in the seat in front of you and you'll be able to find one. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 31. uh, That's page 1023 in the church Bible. You're now the reading of God's Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing, that is Jesus, by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to a priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and to lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said that to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Immediately he rose up before them, picked up what what he had been lying on, and went home. Glorifying God, And amazed, amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made for him a great feast in the house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with those tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, this is God's word. This is what he has said to us and what he has for us today. Let's um, take a moment and uh, thank him for his word and ask for his help in understanding it. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your word and specifically for Jesus and this, um, what Luke has recorded regarding Jesus. Lord, we pray that, uh, that as we listen to what has been said and, and the explanation of it, that you might use what is being said here this morning to uh, comfort those who are distressed and to challenge those who are comfortable. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's um, well, it's been about six years since we moved here. You can tell by my accent that I'm not Australian. Yes. I'm trying to get that Australian accent, but it hasn't been working for me so far. And, um, and I, I even still, uh, when I go to the shops, the lady at the counter will occasionally ask me how my vacation is going. I tell her it's been long and hard. <laughs> i I am kind of an outsider. I'm trying to adapt to Australia, but I'm an outsider and uh, and this chapter in the Bible tells us the stories, four stories about outsiders, people who were on the fringes of society, people who um, had diseases and problems uh, who uh, men who who were kind of the salt-of-the-earth kind of men, like Peter. Um, tax collectors who were hated. And we, we read about these different stories about people who were outsiders. And that's what connects these stories, is the fact that these are outsiders that Jesus has drawn in to himself. And so that's uh, where we're going today. I want to tell you the stories of four outsiders. The first is the story of a fisherman. The second is the story of a leper uh, who has this skin disease called leprosy. The third is a story of a paralytic, and the fourth is a story of a tax collector. So let's look at that first story here in verses one to 11. This is the story of Simon the fisherman. Uh, Simon was uh, his original name. Does anyone know the other name by which he went? Peter. So Simon was also called Peter. And we find Simon Peter, whatever we want to call him, we find him fishing at Lake Gennesaret, which was also known as the Sea of Galilee. Um, and the Sea of Galilee, Galilee wasn't really a sea. It was more of just a kind of a small lake. It was only one-tenth the size of Port Phillip Bay. And we see in verse 1 there's this crowd that has gathered around, um, around Jesus. And we read that they're eager to hear the word of God. You see that some of these people are starting to recognize that this man has been sent by God, and he's actually speaking on, speaking not only on behalf of God, but he's speaking as God to them. So he's preaching uh, at the lake. And as the crowd is pushing in, we see that um, Jesus needs to find a new place to speak. He's, he's kind of unable to communicate to the crowd. So what he does is he finds some of these fishermen. He asks for them to take him out on the boat and and... Uh, he, he gets on the boat and he starts preaching just off the shore so that everyone can hear him uh, speak. So that's, that's the scene. And among those fishermen uh, who owned the boat, uh, we know that there was Simon uh, and also uh, James and John. And on that particular morning, they had just finished fishing. Uh, they had spent the whole night out on the water, and they had just returned to shore. They were packing up, and um, and listen. And as they were packing up, they were listening to Jesus preach. And obviously, we read that that as they returned uh, from a long night of fishing, um, they returned with nothing. They they to use a Canadian expression, they got skunked. Uh, that's an expression that means that basically you stink at fishing. Uh, the fish, you stink and the fish don't want you. So we say that if you catch nothing, you get skunked. So they got skunked. And, uh, and perhaps they were tired and frustrated and just wanted to go home. But Jesus, um, after he's finished speaking, turns to them and says, why don't you take your boat and sail it out into the deep? And once you sail your boat out into the deep... I would like you to take your net and drop it to the side of the boat. So you have Jesus here. And remember, he's a carpenter. And uh, Peter, an expert seasoned fisher. And Peter has just come home after a long night of fishing. He's caught nothing. And now Jesus is telling him, Jesus, who has no experience fishing, tells Peter, go out into the middle of the lake and drop down your nets. Well, Peter must have swallowed a humble pill because... He listened to Jesus. And so he goes out and does what Jesus says. And you can imagine the scene as they kind of get into the middle of the water and they drop the net down. And all of a sudden, just instantly, there's tugging. And the boat starts to tip. And they realize that, that there's this massive load of fish. And, and the fishermen start dragging the fish into the boat. And there's so many fish, we read that the boat starts to sink. And that, that would have been very exciting for James and John. Uh, I like fishing. I probably, I know they didn't have iPhones back then, but I'd be snapping pictures. I'd be, I'd be you know, telling all my friends all about all these fish that, that I caught, that they probably wouldn't believe me, but... And, um, you know, the normal reaction would be excitement. But we don't see any kind of excitement coming from Simon. Simon, um, we read that Simon is, is not jumping up and down, quite the opposite. He's lowered himself to the ground, and he bows before Jesus. And, and look at what, how he responds in verse 8. He says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. something has been made obvious to Simon. It's obvious to Simon that Jesus is more than just a street preacher. He's more than just a carpenter. That this is a man who has been sent by God. And even at this stage in the, in the story, perhaps Simon doesn't have a... He doesn't fully know. You know, He knows that Jesus has been sent by God. But as, as Simon follows Jesus. He'll learn more about who Jesus is. So he doesn't fully know who this man is. He's learning. But Simon knows who he is. Simon knows the deep recesses of his own heart. Simon knows himself to be a sinner. And he doesn't try to hide it either. I mean, often the temptation when we when we stuff up, when we mess up in life, when we sin, often the temptation is to do one of three things. Either we try and justify our sin, or we try to minimize our sin, or we try to conceal and hide our sin. It's, those, those are the three most common responses to sin. And here Simon kind of serves as an example to all of us. Because... He doesn't actually feel the need to minimize or hide or justify his sinful past. He's actually quite upfront and honest with Jesus. What does he say? He says, depart from me because I am a sinner. There's nothing to hide. Nothing to conceal. And in that moment, Simon does not yet understand God's mercy fully, not perfectly perfectly. If he did, he would beg Jesus to stay with him. But he doesn't. He says, depart from me. Depart from me, for I am sinful. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus doesn't leave. Instead of departing from him, Jesus draws close, close to him, draws near to him. He doesn't write Simon off. He doesn't say, oh, Simon, too, too hard. Simon, too dirty. Simon, too sinful. Too hopeless. Too much of a failure. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, instead of departing from Simon, he says, he says and does something unexpected. He basically says, and I'm paraphrasing here, Simon, yeah, it doesn't come as a surprise. I know you're sinful. Why don't you come follow me? You've been spending your entire life catching fish. Now I want you to catch the hearts and lives of men and women. I want you to leave that behind and I want you to become a fisher of men. It's a beautiful story because it just reminds us that that Jesus actually takes the weakest of us, the vilest of us, the most sinful of us, and he actually calls us into a relationship with himself, obviously forgiving our sins through faith and repentance, but he, he uses us in his kingdom and sends us off into the world to serve him. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't go out looking for the most successful, the best dressed, the most eloquent speaker. He goes to Peter, of all people, Simon. And that's, a, that's, that's an amazing story, I think. But that's just the first story of an outsider. There's another outsider we read about in verse 12. Why don't you look at this le- outsider in verse 12? He's a leper, L-E-P-E-R, not leopard as in the cat, a leper, L-E-P-E-R, someone who has contracted the disease of leprosy. Now, I know there are some doctors in the room, so if I get it wrong, I'm just a pastor, not a doctor. Okay, so give me a break. <laughs> but there is a disease called Hansen's disease, which is what, we, what is kind of commonly known as leprosy today, which is, I believe, um, a bacterial infection. And it, there's nerve damage and and you lose limbs, and maybe not limbs, but digits of your fingers and toes, and you can just go ask the doctors about that. But that is an actual disease. That disease may have existed in biblical times, perhaps in a different form as well. But back in Jesus' day, the word leprosy was kind of a catch-all term, and it could have referred to up to, I think, 72 different uh, skin infections. Some of them, would render you um, unclean under the ceremonial law and some would render you clean. And leprosy was one of those conditions. If you had anything on your skin, you were to report immediately to a priest and he would declare whether you were unclean and had to remove yourself from the general public or clean and you could participate in the life of God's people. So, here's... Um, the story of a leper. And Jesus is walking through the streets and he sees this man kind of on the fringes of society, uh, kind of put away from everyone else. And normally, as people would walk by lepers in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament law declared that a leper had to shout out, unclean, 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 whenever someone walked by so that people would know I'm not allowed to go near you I need to dissociate myself from you and so here's this man who's you know it's it's probably quite humiliating I would say to be in that position where you're always constantly yelling out unclean 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 and um, and you don't have any contact with people at all it would be a horrible horrible position to be in and we see this man we read he's full of leprosy, meaning he's in the advanced stages of of leprosy, and as people are walking by, he's yelling out unclean, but then he sees Jesus. And instead of yelling out unclean, what does he do? He yells out, Lord! Make me clean. Now, don't gloss over those words that he calls him Lord. Lord. Even in those days, you didn't just go around calling your, your friends or, or strangers Lord. The title Lord was reserved for a master, a king, or an emperor. But this man is calling Jesus Lord because he recognizes that this guy has been sent by God, that he has some kind of authority. And he also knows. He says, if you are willing, make me clean. So he, he's actually saying, I know you can make me clean but I know that you may have a will and an agenda that's different than my own. And and here's my prayer and my plea to you. Please, if you are willing, make me clean. And then that's when Jesus does something so unexpected. He he reaches out, and you can imagine there's a crowd around him, so everyone's gasping and they're they're shocked that Jesus reaches down and touches the man. You know, this guy has probably not had any human contact in years, and he touches him. Now, before i say any more about this i want to share an important principle it's what we read about in the old testament and it in respect to the old testament ceremonial law in the old testament there was a principle that if you are unclean and you touch someone who is unclean they become unclean so just to illustrate that um often my kids like to do glitter crafts at home okay so i touch the glitter they touch the glitter they touch me I've got glitter on me, I touch, I go into my room and shower, there's glitter everywhere, but everything I touch turns to glitter, and there's glitter all over our house. Well, that's that kind of principle. Um, In the Old Testament, you've got uncleanness on you, you are unclean, you touch someone else, they become unclean. So the Jews who are watching this um, are seeing Jesus touch this man, and they're thinking, man, he's just defiled himself. Jesus, he must be unclean. The Pharisees are instantly probably thinking this guy can't be the Messiah. He can't be who he says he is because he's just defiled himself and made himself unclean. And the Messiah wouldn't do that. But what they don't realize about the Messiah, about the king, is that Jesus in himself is clean and he has the power to cleanse. So the opposite is actually true. Instead of being contaminated... What Jesus does by touching this man is he cleanses him. He makes him clean. Everything that Jesus touches becomes clean. And so the leper is cleansed. And then a ceremonial, ceremonially cleansed, spiritually cleansed. And then the, the physical miracle that accompanies that cleansing is his skin is restored to prove that the man is actually clean. Now, once the man is clean, Jesus orders him not to tell anyone. Why? Why does he do that? Well, I was trying to rack my brain to think why Jesus would tell someone not to tell anyone about this miracle. Uh, Let me quote this, and I think it's a helpful explanation. It says, To our way of thinking, it would seem that Jesus would want everyone to know about this miracle. But Jesus knew that publicity over such miracles might hinder his mission and divert public attention from his message. Mark records this exactly is exactly what happened. In the man's excitement over his miraculous healing, he goes out and he tells everyone. And we read about that in Mark. And as a result, Jesus has to move his ministry away from the city and into desert regions. So it all has to do with his mission to get to the cross. And that's why he commands him not to, be, um, not to tell anyone. But he does instruct the man to go where? To go to the priest, so that the priests would 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 be able to declare um, that this man actually and truly is clean. Now, before I move on any further, let me point this out as well. Like I said, there's that that's there's a lesson attached to the miracle, because as Jesus cleanses the superficial skin disease, he also has the power to wash away our sins, and I think I think that. We can't miss, you know, we don't want to over-spiritualize things, but we can't miss the spiritual point here either. And there is a spiritual lesson here that anyone who calls out to Jesus can be cleansed of their sin. I mean, that's, that's, it's as simple as that. You know, like this man, like this leper, we can call out to Jesus and we can say, yeah, we, were un, we are unclean. We are sinners. But we know that Jesus can make us clean, that he can wash away our sin. That's why Sometimes on Sunday we say, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, because we believe that Jesus has that power to wash away our guilt and shame and sin. Let's move on to the third story here. The story of a paralytic. Now, we live in an age where accessibility is a thing. You know, if you have any kind of disability, or you struggle to walk upstairs, I mean, you can come to church and you can find your way in because we have a ramp, and we have a um, a spot near the front for people with um, disabilities um, to have close access to the doors of the church. But obviously, way back in the Roman Empire, that didn't that wasn't a thing. It didn't exist. There were no such things as wheelchairs. Um, Paralyzed people would lay on mats and they would depend on on others to help them. Um, And if they needed to go into a building, well then what you would do is you would take the mat and you get some of your mates to grab each of the corners of the mat and they would carry you into the building. And what we have here is a story about a paralyzed man. He desperately wants to see Jesus. And he knows that Jesus will be speaking at a home in town. So he gets his friends to pick him up, bring him to the house. They arrive. There's no way in. There's no way in at all. It's crowded. So he's got a good group of friends. They think of a way, you know, that they're going to try and jump the queue and figure out some strange way. Uh, to get into the building, and they concoct this, you know, only guys would do this, um, con- concoct this kind of elaborate plan to break through the roof and drop their friend down through the roof. I mean, you can imagine, you know, me speaking here and the roof caving in and, and, and a man coming through. Don't imagine that, actually. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of what's happening. So they get to the top of the roof, they kind of move some of the tiles, and they lower their friend in Through the roof. Very unorthodox of them, might I add. And the man kind of gets to the, gets lowered down, and, you know, as he's looking around, he sees where he is. He's in a room filled with Pharisees and Jesus. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the most kind of conservative. Um, They were quite uptight. Um, They were uh, really, really careful about observing all of the the entire Old Testament law when it suits them. Other times they would twist the law to their own advantage. But he gets lowered down into a room filled with uh, people and many of them are Pharisees. And everyone's watching the guy. And Jesus does something so unexpected here. He, He forgives the man's sin. All of his sins. He, wipes, he pronounces forgiveness. Wipes the slate clean for this man. Now, the Pharisees, you'll see that throughout the Gospel of Luke, they take issue with Jesus again and again and again. And they obviously they take issue with this. Because according to them, only Jesus has the power to forgive sin. Or only God has the power to forgive sins. Which is True. They accuse him of blasphemy because within their theology, um, only God can forgive sins. And they are right in a sense. People do not have the power to forgive sins. What I mean by that is people do not we do not have the power to wash away sins. I don't have the power to wash away your sins. You don't have the power to wash away my sins. The Virgin Mary, the Pope, your barista, whoever, they don't have the power to wash away your sins. Only God has that power and authority. So they're kind of right in a sense because they're saying, they're saying, you're just a man. Who do you think you are? You can't forgive this guy's sins. What they don't realize is that Jesus is no mere man. That's the disconnect here. They don't realize that he is God. And by forgiving this man's sins, Jesus is equating himself to God. He is saying, I actually do have the power to wash this man's sins away. I do have the authority to forgive him. And by doing that, he's making a statement to everyone in the room. You'll notice that he forgives the sins. This man sins first. So this man has been forgiven, but he's still paralyzed. It it signals signals to us that, that sometimes in the Bible, it is God's will to heal people. That does happen. God can work in extraordinary ways, and he can use extraordinary means to heal people. But that doesn't mean that he always will. Sometimes he doesn't. And what he wants to signal to this man is that the most important thing that he needs, this man needs, is a right relationship with God through faith. To have the forgiveness of his sins, to have his sins washed away. Now, again, the Pharisees begin to question him on this. And, uh, and Jesus' response to that is, which is easier, to forgive sins or to heal someone? And what he does immediately after is just to prove that he does have the power to forgive sins, Jesus does heal the man. And he does that to show them the authority he has. Uh, not only the authority that he has over, over uh, the body, but the authority that he has over the soul. And so he pronounces forgiveness on this man. And the man gets up and walks. And I think anytime that we, we read about these accounts of miracles in the New Testament, we have, to, we have to remember that the whole point of the miracle is not to draw us to miracles. The whole point of the miracle is not to make us, you know, super curious and interested in like supernatural occurrences. The point of the miracle is to show us that Jesus has the authority that he says he does. The miracle is to back up Jesus' claims. And so in that sense, the miracle is a sign that, that shows us that Jesus truly is who he says he is. So, there's another outsider, the paralytic. Let's move on to a fourth and final outsider. His name is Levi. You might know him as, for a coffee, lots of coffees in the room. Matthew, thank you. Matthew, that's okay. Um, Levi is Matthew. Matthew is Levi. And he is a tax collector. Now, I think it's an established fact. Again, I've apologized to the doctors. I'll apologize to the people who work in tax and finance. It's an established fact that many people don't like tax collectors, even today. You know, most people don't like the ATO. Um, I'm sure they do good work, but it kind of feels like they take your money. even though technically it's not your money. Well, things haven't changed much. Um, In Jesus' day, people hated tax collectors because what a tax collector, most of the tax collectors in those days were actually Jewish men who were collaborating with the Roman Empire, the Roman government. They would would go out and collect taxes for Rome and then they would take a little bit, skim a little bit extra off the top and line their own pockets with the money that they got from, uh, from knocking on people's doors and asking for taxes. And so they were hated. And Jesus, as he's walking through the streets, he, he, he sees Levi sitting at a tax collector booth, and he observes him for a while. And, um, and we aren't told anything else. We're just told that Jesus approaches him we aren't told which town they're in, what time of day it was. We're not told much, but we are told that Jesus approaches Levi and says, come follow me, which is what Levi does. Just kind of like Peter. Peter gives up everything to follow Jesus. And just think of, remember, Jesus has, or Peter has, Peter, Simon Peter, same person, has a boatload filled with fish. He could have gone back to the market and sold all of that fish and made a pretty profit. Um, but he doesn't. He leaves the fish behind and goes and follows Jesus. Same with Levi. He leaves his tax booth behind. He leaves his old life behind. And he goes to follow Jesus, which is what happens to us as Christians. In a sense, we do, as we go and follow Jesus, leave behind our old lives. We leave behind our old worldview. We leave behind our old lifestyle. We leave behind our old morals. We leave behind, some people leave behind uh, very things that are very precious to them. And Levi gets up and he leaves everything behind to go follow Jesus. We read that, um, we're also told here, um, that on that night, verse 29, he has a great fe- he holds a great feast. A banquet. And he invites all of his friends. Now, who are the people that are attending this banquet? They're not Pharisees. They're tax collectors. They're sinners. They're people who are morally questionable. They're outcasts and outsiders. Well, we, we aren't given names, but, you know, what, what if the, the, the man healed from leprosy showed up? You know, what if um, Peter and James and John were there? And they have this banquet where Jesus is the guest, and he's sharing food with people who were seemed to be the really, and I hate to say it this way, but the scum of the earth. The Pharisees really believed that, that these types of people were lesser than them. They were the scum of the earth. And Jesus, you know, this now up-and-coming rabbi is eating with them rather than the Pharisees. There's probably a little bit, bit of jealousy there as well. Well, everyone loves Jesus, and he's not eating with us. I mean, we're the successful people, we're the righteous people, we're the moral people, and Jesus is going off to eat with these, you know, with these scummy people. Look at verse 30. The leaders grumble amongst themselves. And in verse 31, Jesus tells them. He says this. Look at verse 31. One of my favorite verses in the whole Gospel of Luke he says those who are well those who are well do not need a doctor but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance Now he's not he's this is a reference to the Pharisees obviously The Pharisees are sick They're very sick They're spiritually sick they're spiritually blind The problem with the Pharisees is that they don't think they need a doctor. They've been given a diagnosis and they go, that's not true. I don't need help. They've been told that, and throughout Jesus' ministry, he'll reveal the nature of their hearts and they will just write Jesus off and ignore him. Um, They do need a doctor, but they're unwilling to seek the doctor who is Jesus Christ. But the sick, those who have an, actually a real, true understanding of their own condition, they're the ones who seek out Jesus because they know that they have a problem. And they, they know that Jesus is the solution and the answer to that problem. There's a, a common saying that um, the church, the body of Christ, is not a hotel for saints but a hospital for sinners. And yes, while we are both saint and sinner, I think this is true, that, that you know that the church is a place where we actually come, not, to, not for appearances, not to show people how wonderful our lives are, but the church is actually a place where we can actually be genuine about who we are and how God is working in our lives, what God has saved us from and what God is saving us for. And that's, I think that's kind of the, the gist of this statement here, that, that Christ comes not to call people who think they don't need a doctor, but to, to call people who know they need a doctor. And so that's what he does with these four outcasts. He calls them, these sinners, to repentance and faith. Just very briefly, repentance, just as a reminder. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from sin. It's, it's seeing sin as, a, as an awful thing, And turning from it. That doesn't mean that we turn from it perfectly in this life, but it's that attitude that says, I I don't want that. Faith is the opposite. Faith is looking to Christ and running to him. So, where does that leave us? Well, we've got these four stories. Stories about outsiders. These are people who are on the fringes of society. We've got a sinner like Peter. We've got a tax collector like Levi. We've got an unclean leper and a paralytic. All four of these, these men are sinners. All four of them meet Jesus face to face. All four of them have received Jesus's mercy. And all four of them are called by Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Um, three of the, Two of them um, are called to serve him on a long-term basis, and the other two go off to share the good news of how Jesus healed them and delivered them. And what, you know, what wonderful stories. And what, what an important reminder for us personally. Just to remember, you know, as, as you live your life, that Jesus doesn't go around looking for the best dressed, for the brightest, for the most powerful, for the most successful. Who does he go out to find? He goes out to find outsiders, outcasts, people who are are broken he goes out to to a, a sinner to a tax collector who everyone hated to a paralytic and he seeks these men out he finds them and calls them to himself I guess as you read those stories do you find any commonality with your own life do you, do you see the similarities with your own life in these men I mean do 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 I See the commonalities. I do. I mean, because I am a sinner. I'm sinful. Just like, just like uh, Simon. And like the leper and the paralytic, I know Jesus has forgiven me. And like Levi, I know that Jesus calls me to follow him. And here's your mission. You know, there are people in our society, they are outsiders. They are hurting. They are struggling. Their worldview is different than yours their lifestyle is different than yours, their morals are different than yours, and you might even feel uncomfortable around them. You work with them, you, some of them are part of your family, you see them at family reunions, you bump into them, you go to school with them. Have you ever stopped to consider that God has put those people in your life for a reason? And maybe, maybe the starting point is to reach out to them. Now don't, And just don't don't see them as a box to tick. You know, I've done my evangelistic duty for the week. But engage in relationships with these people. Have them over for a meal. Golf with them. Go running with them. Share your life with them. And as you do that, share the most important thing that you have. Share with them the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Share with them what he has done in you and through you. And that, that reminds me of a final quote that I, I want to share with you. It's a quote from Martin Luther who said this. And if this is the only thing you remember from the sermon, well, that's listen to what Martin Luther said here. We are all beggars. That is true. We are all beggars showing other beggars where to find food. May God remind you again of how gracious he has been to you and may he send you out on mission to proclaim that grace to others. Amen. In a moment, we'll join to sing. Um, We'll join to share um, the Lord's Supper together, um, to feast on Christ, the the bread of life. Um, But before that, we'll sing Jesus' thank you as a response. And um, you can stand with me.